Now, why is there such an emphasis in this book on sound doctrine and good deeds? Healthy, godly living is what attracts people to the gospel. And I really believe that at the heart of Paul's mind is that, Titus, you are to make sure that the churches are functioning well so they have an evangelistic impact on the community around them. That's the whole point. We are not only to glorify God and be an example to one another, but we are to live in such a way that people are attracted to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the senior pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been teaching since 1981. As you have probably already noticed, we're going to be looking at the book of Titus today, and we will continue to do so for several more days. Titus isn't a very big book, so here's the easy way to find it if you're not familiar with it. Titus comes at the end of what I call the T epistles, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then Titus. Although it's a fairly brief letter, Titus contains a lot of practical information for modern-day Christ followers. Today's lesson will be the first part of a three-part message about godly characteristics of older men. I'm really looking forward to this study since I'm easing into that age category myself. But no matter what age bracket you occupy, I'm sure you will find plenty of principles you can apply to your own life. If you have your Bible with you, turn to chapter 2 as we begin our class. I think we would all agree, I don't think anybody would disagree on this, that ours is an age of uh, really not wanting to offend anybody. Can we agree on that? That uh, in, in, you know, we're a sensitive uh, age. We want to say things that are not offensive. Uh, There's a prevailing attitude that we just try to be what the new term is politically correct. Now, that is to say that there is a way to say something, a way to categorize people, um, and, and to describe them with, without really hurting their feelings and being offensive. For example, here's how it works. Instead of saying that somebody is short, we say it's politically correct to say that they are vertically challenged. Okay? Isn't that nice? You see how this works? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, don't call out, you can just think this, but I'm going to see uh, if you can figure out the next few statements. Uh, these, these are politically correct descriptions. Uh, don't call it out, but I just think that someone who is horizontally gifted, it means they're overweight. See? You could also say they're uh, gravitationally challenged. That's another nice way of saying that they're overweight. Uh, horizontally challenged would mean that they're thin. They're horizontally challenged. Here's, here's one, intellectually impaired. That means they're not too bright. That's a way to tell someone you're not too bright. But, but you know, it sounds good. You're intellectually impaired. That really sounds impressive. Uh, romantically challenged is another way of saying I'm not with anybody at the moment. I'd like to be, but I'm, I'm not. Monetarily challenged means I'm poor. You know, that's good. Here's one. Motivationally challenged means somebody is lazy. They're motivationally challenged. Now, my personal favorite of all that I have have looked at, and I've studied a few this week, is follically independent. <laughs> that means somebody is bald. But you see, if you say they're bald, that's that's kind of an offensive way to put it. So you just say, "Oh, I see you're follically independent," and uh, or getting that way. Now, having given you a taste of political correctisms this morning. 
Uh, We want to study from Titus chapter 2 what God has to say to those who are chronologically gifted. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to study about older people who are, that's that's right, the senior citizens. See, I could have said that, but uh, the new term is chronologically gifted. In a non-politically correct world, we would say old. Uh, Paul said old. But uh, we're trying to be more more sensitive. And I'd like you to turn, if you haven't already, to Titus chapter 2. We've been studying Paul's letter to Titus. Titus chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 4. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, and so forth. We'll we'll stop there. Now, this is a message, at least the first few verses, to older men and older women of the church. But Paul doesn't stop there. He's not just focusing on those who are older or chronologically gifted, uh, because he goes on to speak in verse 4, as I just read about younger women, He goes on in verse 6 to speak about the young men. He says in verse 6, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In verse 7, he speaks about Titus. And I would assume that uh, he's calling Titus to be an example, that he means that, Titus, you fit in the category of being a young man. In verse 9, he says, I urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters. So he's he's speaking to various categories of people. Now, Now, why does Paul focus on various groups of Christians in the church? It's not just a broad statement. This is one of the few places in the Bible where he's, he has some specific things to say to specific age groups and then to slaves in the church. Well, let's look at verse 1, and we'll put it together and, and get the context here. Why is he doing this? Verse 1 says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. You really can't understand the rest of chapter 2 unless you understand that verse. He, he says, Speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. But notice that uh, there's a contrast there. But as for you... Now, why is the contrast there? Unfortunately, we have a break from chapter 1 to 2, but in Paul's mind, there was no break. Because you'll remember in context, the Apostle Paul closed chapter 1 by telling the church, and Titus specifically, that there were false teachers in the congregations on the island of Crete. That's where he's writing, that's where Titus is, and there are a multitude of congregations, how many we don't know, but he says in verse 10 of chapter 1, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So there were Jewish false teachers who had gotten into the church, and what were they doing? Verse 11, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So these were false teachers in the churches, and Titus is basically being told that along with the elders, they are to silence these men, uh, which means to put a muzzle on them. And we've gone over this. Now, when he moves to chapter 2, he says, but in contrast, Titus, to the false teachers, in contrast to the error that they were teaching, I want you to say some things that are fitting for sound doctrine. In contrast to error, I want you to speak truth. Now, let me explain this. And and if you get this, you'll understand where Paul has, is going with this. Paul is not telling Titus to teach sound doctrine. 
He assumes and knows that Titus is teaching sound doctrine. He's not saying, Titus, in contrast to the false teachers, I want you to speak the truth of sound doctrine. That's a given. Paul understands that Titus is doing that. What he is saying is, I want you to teach those things that in addition to sound doctrine, Titus, I want you to tell the church how to behave in such a manner that is suitable to their age group and situation in life. You notice, notice verse 1, the key word there is fitting for sound doctrine. He's not saying teach sound doctrine. Teach those things that are fitting for sound doctrine. The word fitting in the original language means appropriate, suitable, proper. That's how it's used in other places. There are certain things that are fitting for believers and certain things that are not fitting for believers. And what he is saying is this, truth requires certain behavior that reflects it. In light of you teaching the truth, now I want you to teach these various groups how to apply these truths to their lives so that their behavior corresponds to the truth that they're hearing called sound doctrine. It's just another way of saying that righteous living must follow right and sound doctrine. What does sound doctrine mean? We've we've said this before, but the word sound basically means healthy. We get our our English word hygiene from uh, this Greek word. Healthy, sound. You cannot separate sound doctrine from sound living. There is a way of living that is appropriate to sound doctrine. And Paul is specifically going to tell us what's appropriate to various age groups. We will be considering the truths in these verses right after we welcome those of you who have just tuned in. We're glad to have you here for Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying Titus chapter 2 and learning what the Apostle Paul had to say about the godly characteristics of older men. We just heard several verses that stress doctrine and behavior. What is so important about them, and how are they connected? Let us return to class now and find out. Here is Pastor Steve. I want to just broaden this a little bit. Throughout Paul's letter to Titus, you will see, if you have not already, that he keeps uh, emphasizing um, good works and sound doctrine. They go together. This is not something new. This is not something that's isolated in this book. For example, uh, notice chapter 1, verse 9. He says that elders are to hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching that they may be able to exhort in what? Sound doctrine and refute those who who contradict. Uh, Verse 13 says this, this testimony is true for this cause reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith. Sound in the faith, sound teaching, sound doctrine. Verse 16 Speaking of the false teachers, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Sound doctrine, sound teaching, but now he's talking about deeds. Chapter 2, verse 2, we just uh, we just read uh, that older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. There's a soundness there. Chapter 2, verse 7, in all things show yourselves to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine and dignified. That goes together. Doctrine and deeds go together. Chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself, speaking of Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. There's an emphasis on deeds. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God. Put it on. Put on the doctrine of God. Chapter uh, 2 
verse um, or chapter three, rather, verse one, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Chapter three, verse eight. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. And then he closes chapter three, verse 14. Let our people also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs that they may not be un. Fruitful. Now, why is there such an emphasis in this book on sound doctrine and sound deeds, good deeds? And I'll tell you, as we put this together, healthy, godly living is what attracts people to the gospel. And I really believe that at the heart of Paul's mind is that, Titus, you are to make sure that the churches are functioning well so they have an evangelistic impact on the community around them. That's the whole point. We are not only to glorify God and be an example to one another, but we are to live in such a way that people are attracted to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. That's why, for example, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says that the older women are to teach the younger women to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Why? Now, why is a younger woman to behave like this? That the word of God may not be dishonored? She is to live in such a way so that the non-Christian community doesn't look at her and uh, and say that she is a reproach to what she believes. There's to be an attractiveness in terms of uh, gospel impact. Chapter 2, verses uh, 7 and 8. In all things, he says to Titus, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine and dignified, sound in speech that is beyond reproach. Why? In order that your opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. In other words, Titus, live in such a way that those who oppose the gospel can't say anything legitimately uh, true against you and against the gospel. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything well-pleasing and so forth. Now, why? Why? So he says in verse 10, they may adorn the doctrine of God in every respect so that they might put on the truth and live it out so that others might see it. You see, that's his point. By our appropriate conduct, we can make an evangelistic impact on those around us. And that's that's really his point. Now, having said that, in, in Titus chapter 2, Paul lays out the kind of conduct that is appropriate to, to each age group and then also to slaves. And uh, today we want to look at the senior men of our church. That's right, the senior men of our church, those who are chronologically gifted. This is a pointed message. This is for them. And uh, in case you're you're wondering, well, I'm not a, a senior uh, man in the church. How is this relevant for me? Uh, you may leave. No, I'm kidding. No, you should stay here because we're all to hold each other accountable, number one. Secondly, um, those of you who are younger men are going to be older men someday, and you should know how to behave. Those of you who are older women are, in many cases, married to older men. So you should know how they should behave because you can tell them how they need to behave in light of this. And those of you who are younger women will probably marry younger men who will someday turn into older men, so you should know what kind of person to marry so they become something like this. So this morning, we're going to look at six godly characteristics of mature adult men. And we begin in verse 2 by Paul saying, first of all, Older men are to be. Now let's stop there. He says, older men are to be. Paul begins this section by clearly spelling out who he's addressing. The older men of the congregation. That's very clear. However, 
One thing that's not clear and a question that we might have is at what age does a man become an older man? It really gets ticklish when we deal with older women. But at what age does a man become an older man? Because um, you can become bizarre with this. My children, for example, think that I'm old. Now, you see how ridiculous that is? You see how bizarre that stuff can get? Um, you know, that's, that's just, that borders on being ludicrous. So, Paul does not define for us uh, the age here. He doesn't say when you reach a certain age, you're considered an older man. However, Paul must have written this keeping in mind that the culture that he was writing would understand who's older. So all we have to do is figure out in the Greek culture, uh, at what age did they consider in his day someone old? And we know this from ancient records that the ancient Greek culture, the word uh, that, that they had when they called somebody older was someone who has, could have been as young as 50 years old. And, and older, for example, in Greek literature, Philo used this word to speak of a man over 60. So it's someone who's, uh, uh, could be 50 and up. Uh, the Apostle Paul used this word in Philemon, verse 9, when he referred to himself, he called himself Paul the Aged. And we know that he was in his 60s at that, at that point. The only other time that this word is used in the New Testament, it refers to Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist. He was being told by an angel that, uh, that his wife, would give birth to uh, to the forerunner of Messiah. And he said, uh, questioning this, he said, I'm an old man, and there's that word, and my wife is advanced in years. In other words, they were past normal childbearing age. They were old enough to be grandparents. So I, I think what we can conclude from this is that an older man would be, uh, is anyone from about 50 and older. And you could say, if, if it's easier for you, that anybody who's older than me, I'm 44, is older, and anyone younger than me is younger. And I just figured that I'm at that perfect age. And uh, maturity and yet not too mature and not too young. So, so he's talking to the older men. So let's say those who we would say about 50 years and up. Now, old age is not always the easiest thing to face. And I'd like you to turn, we're just kind of giving a little background on this, to Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. I believe Michelle just taught on this in our ladies' Bible study. And uh, it's good that she taught on this because um, in, in interacting with her, uh, my mind went to this chapter, Ecclesiastes, it's right before the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, not a pretty picture of growing old. Um, it's the sunset of life, the difficulties associated with growing old. Uh, these are really the miseries of old age. I'd like to read it to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Solomon said, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. He's speaking about growing old. The evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun, the light, the moon, and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble. And mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim. These are, as I said, the miseries of growing old. He speaks of failing memory, verse 2. He speaks of hands trembling with feebleness. He speaks about the legs and knees becoming weak. And then he speaks about grinders. He says the grinders are few. You know what the grinders are? Your teeth. They're few. The others are idle. In other words, they're not working right. The ones you do have don't work right, and you don't have as many as you used to. 
and he speaks about your eyesight begins to grow dim. Now, in the next few verses, we don't need to read. I'll just tell you some of the other things that, that Solomon said to describe old age. He speaks of an inability to sleep. It's difficult to sleep. A loss of hearing. A loss of vigor. The fear of going outside because you might fall. You might fall. Hair turning gray and white. Being bent over and moving slowly. I mean, the Apostle Paul put it in the New Testament. He said, the outer man is decaying. And Solomon tells us some of the specifics of that. So physically growing old can be tough, but there's an advantage to being older as well. And Job mentions an advantage. In Job chapter 12, verse 12, Job says this. He says, wisdom is with the aged men, with long life is understanding. And that's a general truism. That's not always the case. That's a general truism. There's more of an opportunity to acquire wisdom the longer that you live. I mean, we we would say that as well. But that's one of the advantages. You live longer. You experience things more than those who are younger. Therefore, you have the opportunity to acquire wisdom. Also, Leviticus 19, verse 23, speaks about respect that is to be given to those who are older. God says in Leviticus 19, verse 23, says, or 32 rather, he says this, you shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. So there is to be a respect that those younger are to show those who are older. And it's also possible to be very productive spiritually as you are older. A great verse is Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verse 14, speaking of the righteous man who is older, Psalm 92, verse 14 says this, they will still yield fruit in old age. They will be full of sap and very green. Spiritually, they're still going to be very fruitful, still productive. Life doesn't have to end in terms of a retirement that I do nothing. However, old age, even though there can be spiritual productivity, there can be wisdom. We, we want to balance this by saying old age doesn't automatically mean spiritual maturity. Old age does not guarantee spiritual maturity. It doesn't make a believer godly because he's known Christ longer than someone who's younger. It doesn't mean that he has depth of character just because he's lived several years more. Spiritual maturity cannot be measured in years. It just gives you the opportunity to be spiritually mature. It doesn't guarantee it. As I gracefully mature, I have come to appreciate more and more the life experience humor in the Pickles cartoons. Earl and Opal make quite a pair. Recently, Earl was talking with a friend and commented that food didn't taste as good as it used to. His friend said that he'd heard that you lose your taste buds when you get older. Earl replied, yeah, could be. I don't know which I'm losing faster, my brain cells or my taste buds. While we tend to lose teeth, hair, strength, and eyesight, we do have the opportunity as we age to gain something far more valuable. You are listening to Verse by Verse, and we have just begun a series of lessons about the godly characteristics of older men. Our instructor is pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been teaching at Lakeside for more than 26 years. These daily Bible classes are an extension of his ministry at Lakeside and are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. 
We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who are first faithful to their own churches. This message from Titus chapter 2 will continue over the next two classes. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order a CD or cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. If you would like to listen to today's lesson again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You will find not only today's broadcast, but many previous ones as well. There are also links to sign up for our free podcasting service and our complimentary newsletter. You will find all of that and more at versebyverseradio.org. As we men age, we tend to develop certain characteristics. Some of them come naturally, such as when hair starts to grow vigorously in the wrong places. But there are some wonderful characteristics as well. The good ones usually require some effort on our part in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Pastor Steve will have more to share about those godly characteristics next time on Verse by Verse.